The following podcast is part of the Underdog Sports Podcast Network. For advertising information or to find more great podcasts, visit us at www.theunderdogsports.com and follow us on Twitter at RealTheUnderdog. You're listening to the Underdog Sports NBA Show. Cross green. With host Tyler Laurie and Zandrick Ellison. Brought to you by Underdog Sports. Tune in every week as Tyler and Zan recap the biggest storylines and news in the NBA. Welcome to the 42nd episode of the Underdog Sports NBA show. I am Tyler Laurie and I'm joined as always by my co-host, out in California, big Warriors guy, Zandrick Ellison. Zan, we are now two games into the NBA Finals. Give me your fire takes. My fire takes? Can I say one? Can I start off on an odd note for us? Because I know you're going to commence hating and anger and, and just typical Tyler wrath. I'm excited about things, right? I feel really good about the NBA Finals. I, I'm not hating on anything. I feel really good. That, that's what I meant. Like, I honestly, like, I'm, I'm a fan of like my two favorite sports are football and basketball. And I'm very conflicted about football. Like every time I watch it, it's like, you know, it's almost like a shameful, like secret thing. Cause it's like, I do feel bad. I feel bad about the, the health issues and also just like how disposable it feels like all the players are. And I had like the opposite feeling coming out of last night, game two. It's just like, it's such a joyous sport. And I just love like how well these teams are playing, how smart they're playing. And I also love how international it is. I mean, you know, like Siakam and, you know, is from, Africa, Abaka, you know, Giannis before that was from Greece by way of Africa. Even guys like Jarebko coming in from Sweden. It's just like you just feel so good about the future of the sport that there's all these like guys coming together in a game that really works internationally. I got a fire take too, if you want to talk about hating. I, I, I agree with you. I enjoy this. And I think that it's it's really crazy that to me that football's viewership is so much higher. And like the NBA on social media is certainly considered to be super popular but i think zan in general like the nfl ratings just crush the nba and i think there's less games obviously like it's a sunday thing but i mean this is a super fun finals so far two games in sunday night uh the warriors even it up they win well uh, i believe they won 109 105 yeah 109 104 excuse me but one thing i was gonna say is and this is gonna make me sound like such a troll and i hate it because you just said that i was a hater but, like, this series is more fun without Kevin Durant. Like, when he comes back, it's going to be fun. It's going to be cool to watch him play, and he's amazing to watch. But, like, through two games, it's been really fun to watch, like, guys on the Warriors step up because people overreacted to game one. Like you said, we both, I, I think, thought that game two was a really good spot to bet the Warriors because of how well Siakam played in game one. We'll get to that in a second. But just game two, my initial reaction was, like, it was super fun to watch Andrew Bogut and DeMarcus Cousins and Quinn Cook, like, all make big contributions. Because, like, we haven't really seen that from the Warriors in the last two years. And so, like, I guess maybe that makes me a hater, and it doesn't make me think that the Warriors are better without Kevin Durant, but better to watch, like, more... No, no, that, that's a good point, and I forgot that, because it's a close series, too. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, and competitive. Um, and even there's times, you know, I think... Um, one of those series against the Warriors Cavs when the Cavs are at full strength, like it was four one, but it was like well played and competitive game to game. Um, but last year certainly wasn't, you know, like that was like the flailing Cavs team and they just looked like they were dead after game one and they wanted to check out. So this year we're actually getting good basketball. Yeah. Like 2017, the Cavs were up big Durant. They were up two Oh, then they went up three Oh in a very close game where Durant hit that shot over 
KD uh, over LeBron. You remember in transition, right, deep one. Yeah, I mean th- that was a good that was a good four one series. Oddly enough, yeah, and like the Cavs shot the ball super well in Game Three and just didn't win. Then they won Game Four. Then they got closed out in Game Five. And I think people all thought like, well, maybe if they won Game Three, the series would have gone seven. I mean, I don't know. The Warriors were just so, that's what I'm talking about. Like the Warriors are just so good. Like it felt like they took the Cavs best punch in the mouse mouth in that series. And then last year, they just absolutely smoked them. And that's why, like, game one was so much fun because we talked about, I think, how we thought the public was much, much higher on the Warriors and this sort of, like, no Durant hype, like, really spun out of control. And then all of a sudden, we get into game one, and the Raptors were fantastic. I mean, Kawhi was not normal as, as good as the normal self. And it seemed like everybody else, led by Pascal Siakam, 14 for 17 from the field, like, they were just ready to go. The Warriors sort of sold out to stop Kawhi at all turns and was like, hey, if guys beat us, they beat us. And, and, the, and the Raptors did that, I thought. They were, they were favorites going into the game, and they really held serve on their home court in game one. Yeah, you know, and I, honestly, like, it's 1-1. And I feel like we had a pretty good, in our preview, if you want to go back and listen to, to hear evidence of this, a fairly good feel for this in the sense that, like, Toronto with, you know, Siakam and Kawhi Leonard and there's long athletes, like, they're going to defend Golden State pretty well. You know, it's just a matter of like, can their offense be consistent enough? And we saw that the series, like game one, they were hot. Siakam 14 for 17, as you said, game two, they didn't get that. Siakam five for 18. And we could talk about the adjustment made, but um, going forward, I expect that. I think this is like the series that we'd expect the, the, I don't know if dead even series. I think the Warriors may be slightly better without Kevin Durant still, but um, closer to 50, 50 than 60, 40, I would say. Yeah, I actually, it was really interesting. After they won game one, I think Blake J. Harris, our uh, favorite author and best author in the world, texted us and asked, like, what odds could you get on the Raptors after game one? And they were still dogs after winning game one to win the series. I think they were plus 131 down from, like, plus 235. And even after winning game one, the most likely outcome, or or Vegas considered the most likely outcome to be Warriors in six, which, again, given the news that Kevin Durant is coming back more likely for game four than he is for game three it still seems like vegas or or i guess rather the public because vegas sets the odds based on the public but it still seems like the public is overwhelmingly supportive of the warriors which seems odd to me because you know if you exclude and and you can't really exclude anything but if if you exclude sunday night like the the start of the third quarter for the raptors like they may watch the film and be kind of sick that they lost on Sunday night, Zan. Because, like, honestly, they, they got some bad performances. Not bad performances, but they got, like, worse performances from guys and had every chance to win the game. They were up 12 again late in the second quarter, and then all of a sudden they just got blitzed. And it, it was pretty interesting to me that, you know, they're supposed to hold serve at home, but, I mean, they're every bit as good as the Warriors team that we're seeing now. And the Warriors are kind of just dropping like flies, which is another thing that could really tilt this series. And as of right now, as of this recording, we don't know total status about Durant. Clay Thompson's banged up. Iguodala's banged up. Looney is is also hurt. Um, so we don't know who. It might be a lot of Quinn Cook and um, Jacob Evans next game. We don't know. But uh, I, I want to ask about the Siakam thing because that was so interesting to me because he was like such like the toast of the town after game one. And didn't really get a lot of attention for for his poor shooting in game two, but it's a, quite a dramatic drop off. Fourteen for seventeen again, down to five for eighteen in game two. So, as a coach, like, what do you see? How did the Warriors adjust to kind of cut off those those baskets inside? Well, I thought they aggressively 
they aggressively doubled to get the ball out of Kawhi's hands. I thought they they roamed off just about everybody. And then Siakam beat him to the rim a ton. Like, you know, keep in mind, I think he went two for three from three. So, you know, that makes, what, 12 for 14 from the from two? I mean, that's just really impressive. And he, I think he'd only had – there's only been two other games where somebody shot 85% of, percent from the field and scored 30-plus points in finals history. So the likelihood that Siakam was going to repeat that and not regress is obviously very, very low. But I did think in game two on Sunday night, one of the things that I was – I thought they were more apt to let Kawhi handle the ball more. I, I, I thought they – they panicked a little bit in game one. Not, not necessarily panic. That's a bad way to put it. But I thought that they were very hell-bent on stopping Kawhi Leonard, and that was it. And they were like, if anyone else is going to beat us. And so the driving lanes for guys like Siakam, like off the catch to, to, to murder guys in rotation, were open. And I thought those closed off very quickly in game two. I thought they did a much better job of kind of sitting back and being like, you know what? Let's trust our link. Let's trust Iguodala. Let's trust Clay. Let's trust Draymond and, and not put guys in rotations quite as much as they did before. And again, some of it's just Siakam's regression. You know, like you're not going to shoot 85%. I was a bit surprised to see him shoot. I think it was five for 18. Is that right? I, I was a little bit surprised at that. I, you know, and again, if he shoots 10 for 18, it's a much different game and they, they win. But I thought they did a really good job. And I do think some of it was regression, but I thought they were much, uh, much more solid defensively whereas I thought in game one they sold out to stop Durant or to stop Kawhi right I understand you know and the thing with Siakam I think is interesting because usually you know I'm a big fan of aggression I'll, I'll throw that out a lot and, and it's more often in terms of shooting like hey Fred Van Vliet we saw that you know so cold and to start the playoffs got so hot you know it's like three-point shots you know can go in or out Siakam in the game one like his ability to finish inside I don't think was a fluke in any way, obviously, he's not going to go 14 for 17. But this is a guy who's just so long and has a nice touch. He shot 60% from two-point range each of the last two years. So he he can, can consistently make that shot. So I think the Warriors were smart to try to treat that more seriously. And, you know, like kind of, you know, contest in the paint more. Um, You know, obviously play Boogie Cousins a lot more. I don't know if that helped or hurt in terms of like their defense, but it did add another big body inside. Well, a couple other things, too, on game one, you know, I, I felt like it, we kind of just glossed over the fact that, that the Warriors just didn't play very well to begin with. Like, they were sort of sloppy to start. They, they generally, they get sloppy a lot, though. And you actually even have a, a funny take about Steph Curry coming off the bench, which is not a bad take by any means. But it's like, you said yourself, like, the, the Warriors just seem to start sloppy. And then they're like, oh, yeah, we have to play the game. We have to win. And in a series against a team like Toronto, I think there's one element of this series that's really kind of been underreported and the Warriors have been harping on this. I don't know if you've heard this in the post game, but these two teams don't know each other very well. You know, like they played twice in the regular season. Guys didn't have their full complement of guys on either side. They haven't played a lot in the last couple of years. This Warriors team plays very differently or this, this uh, Raptors team plays very differently than the team with DeMar DeRozan and Jonas Valanciunas where they had some more post-ups. They played a little bit slower. I think the Warriors adjusted too much to start the game, if that makes sense, Zan. I think they were like, this is the way, cut the head off the snake. Their depth is not good enough. We have the better pieces. We've been here before. And I, I think it genuinely, like they looked at the film on their two-day break and they were like, you know what? Like we don't need to adjust quite that much. Like this team is not, and I think that just goes from not being familiar with who you play. And unfortunately, because of the Cavs and LeBron, we haven't seen a finals like this. It's been four or five years, right? I mean, so I think they were super comfortable guarding LeBron. And I think now they're like, we have to make some changes and do some different things and realizing like, hey, maybe we don't have to do 
that drastically. I think they're probably on Twitter too much because they, they've been reading about Kawhi Leonard being like the superhuman scorer and they're like, we have to stop him. He's the key to the team. In reality, obviously he's a great player, top five player. I'm not saying that, but his like sort of ISO ball, you know, ball stopping style of play hasn't been that effective from the floor. In fact, he's shot under 50% six games in a row now. Um, I don't know if he's to- totally healthy. I don't know if he's tired. He, you know, he's, we talked about his shot mechanics before. It's a lot of arms and not a lot of legs. Um, and obviously defenses are paying more attention to him. But he's not, you know, he plays like Durant. He's not quite at the level of Durant as like an ISO scorer even. So I think the Warriors can probably afford to live with him, his offense, more than they probably thought they could. Yeah, and that actually is very interesting because even in game two, even Sunday night, you know, he had, I think he had 34 points or whatever, but he did not shoot it well. He was 16 for 16 from the foul line. That is obviously very important. But eight for 20, two for nine from three. You know, the Raptors as a whole shoot 11 for 38 from three, 29%. Like, that's just not going to get it done against the Warriors. And, and again, like, you can guard them and you can bother them and slow the game down and you can kind of try to muck it up and win, especially without KD because there isn't a ton of offense. Clay Thompson obviously goes out at the end of the third quarter, doesn't return. But if you're going to do that, you've got to be able to make some timely shots. And they just didn't make timely shots in the fourth quarter. That was kind of the biggest deal. They, they fouled a bunch. Kyle had just two horrendous fouls in the fourth quarter. Then, and, and I, I also think like Draymond in game one was, he had a triple double. I think he had 10, 10 and 10. He played very poorly. And, and the analytics community was kind of like crushing him a little bit for saying like his assists were not that valuable. And, you know, he got him in garbage time. And I think that really matters kind of getting them going. And last night, or I'm sorry, Sunday night, the Warriors assisted on 90% of their field goals. So it, it felt like they kind of understood that the adjustment Toronto made on them was, you know, press up, deny shooters. And I don't know, Zan, I mean, it felt like we saw four or five backdoor, just wide open layups that the Warriors kind of took advantage of how high Toronto was guarding and how, how much they wanted to take away open jump shots and how much they wanted to blow up dribble handoffs and screen and rolls. And it felt like the Warriors really adjusted to that in game two, which they did not do well in game one. They, they really struggled, I thought, getting separation on the perimeter. Yeah, that's a good point on both counts. Like I, and I agree with Draymond. Sometimes I like get assists, I think, can be misleading. Um, you know, they're a little subjective. I mean, it, it's not every assist is counted the same, but in the game one, he had 10 assists, six turnovers. So, you know, and you made the point, like maybe those assists weren't as valuable. And, it, and also defense, defensive rebounding, I think can be a little overrated too. Um, I was surprised to, to find this out actually in game one, he had 10 rebounds, all defensive rebounds. And so it made me look it up, but Draymond averaged less than one offensive rebound per game this year. Yeah. For a guy who plays as a small ball, you know, center who's around the rim quite a bit that that's pretty low i always think of him as a good rebounder but the fact that he's not maybe it's just a scheme thing maybe it's a cult you know like a coaching thing just to get back on d but um it's something that would be helpful he got he grabbed two last night and i think those were that that helps but that's uh, always kind of been again there's there's been a very interesting not necessarily a blueprint to beat the warriors because nobody's really done it except for the Cavs in 2016 but it's sort of been just like hammer them on the offensive glass because they don't, they don't defensive rebound the ball great either. And I, and I thought that, you know, Toronto, you could see like their activity level with Siakam and Kawhi and Marcus all like they get hands on balls all the time. They kind of keep plays alive, but you, you are right. Like that's one area where you can really hurt the Warriors, but you have to play slow and you've got to make shots if you're going to do it because they're just not going to miss that many shots. And so I, I think the interesting thing to kind of monitor is, 
I thought the Raptors played pretty well defensively last night, all, all things or Sunday night, all things considered though. One of my problems is like, they do just give up so many open threes, and that's partially by design. Quinn Cook, two wide open threes in the third in the fourth quarter. Andre Godal, obviously the biggest three of the game in the fourth quarter, like with seven seconds left, definitely was a bad shot. And he hadn't hit a three since the series against Houston. So, of course, he makes that one. But I just think, like, you kind of have to live with that. And I do feel like the Raptors are going to walk away from the game feeling pretty comfortable. Now, Oracle's going to be a different animal. Yeah, I- I don't know if I'd be comfortable, but I agree about their defensive game plan. You know, there's a lot made of their box that wanted to try to stop Curry from getting the ball. We should talk about that because it was really interesting. Yeah, like I thought everything. I love Nick Nurse as a coach. I feel like he he does push all the right buttons. I thought that was a good strategy. Quieted down the Warriors. They only scored 21 points in the fourth quarter. The problem is the Raptors just couldn't quite score enough to take advantage. But I agree. I think defensively they played well both games, even though the Warriors have scored 109 points. That's actually below the league average. Yeah, I would say... One thing about this series that's been really, really fun, and and honestly, just Nick Nurse in general, is like he's just not been afraid to do some weird stuff. Like to 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 the point, like Steph actually called the box and one defense janky after the game. Like that's just because again, you don't you don't see stuff like that in the NBA. Now I, I know like Jeff Van Gundy was going nuts about it. Like you know Tim Floyd ran triangle and two with the Bulls, and again you have these X's and O's like mad scientist type guys that do weird shit like this, but. I think that it's it's an interesting kind of thought experiment to just be like, hey, they've never seen this before. Right. That's the argument. Like, you don't do that in the NBA. It's like, well, maybe that, that'll catch them off guard then. You know, it's like, kind of like the first year that they ran the Wildcat. You know, it's like, it's very effective that first year until teams adjust. But if you keep giving them new looks, they're not going to have time to adjust. So here, and here's the uh, the second part of that now. So they, they ran that box in one for the la- around the last five minutes of the game. And, and all, th- I mean, all things considered, it worked great. I know the Warriors didn't really score. I really thought Kawhi was going to pick off that pass to Livingston with like eight seconds left. And I do want to talk about how poorly I thought the Raptors defended the last 26 seconds or played it out at least. But the boxing one, like now, if you're Golden State, you're flying back across country. And if you're Steve Kerr, like you're at least sitting there being like, do we need to game plan to see this boxing one again? Because I don't know, like now everyone's like, hey, start in the boxing one. And Nick Nurse might be like, you know what, let's throw a different look so they know it's out there. But he may never go back to it, but at least it's in the back of the Warriors' mind of like, hey, maybe we see this defense. Maybe it slows them down on offense one or two seconds because they're crossing half court trying to see, are they in this box and one? Do we need something different? And, and you don't really get that metagame kind of in the regular season like you do in the playoffs. And that's why I think doing things that are out of the box like Nick Nurse, even if they don't work, it's still, it's still smarter because, like I said, it, it throws some different looks at guys and it, it makes Kerr and the coaching staff and the Warriors players be like, hey, you know what? Let's take a beat for a second. Like, let's stop and play a little bit slower and figure out, like, what's the right way to beat this? Because obviously, you know, Zan, I don't want to, like, arrogantly talk about coaching basketball, but, you know, beating a box in one is you need other guys to step up, but you also need to get Steph on the move. You need to collapse that box and open up other guys to open up driving ranges or driving lanes, excuse me. And if Steph is hurt or Steph is tired and you run it in the fourth quarter, it's very hard for him to get open. That's just... It's just kind of the, the thought process. So maybe it's not something you run at the start of the game, but it's something you have in your back pocket for late in these situations again. Well, you know, you're not going to arrogantly talk about coaching, but I will as the complete amateur who's never coached a day in his life. I, I, just, I just want to say like Nick Nurse is a guy that I've been touting as like the best assistant head coach. You should get a job. You should get a job for years now. And it's not that I know coaching. It's not that I know how to stop a box at one. Like maybe you do. It's just 
it's just a matter of like just simple like resume. Like this is a guy who had to work his way up. He was in the British Basketball League, won coach of the year, won titles there, came over to the G League, won coach of the year, won titles there. It's like clearly he's doing something right. Clearly he knows how to coach. He wasn't handed anything. Not that Steve Kerr was, but Steve Kerr has an easier path to become an NBA coach, you know, very likable, very famous player. Like a guy like Nick Nurse is not handed anything. He has to prove himself time and time again. He's done it. So why wouldn't he be a good head coach? I, I love this discussion because, and this is not to pump Create Your Shot or my, my other podcast, but I do think one of the things with coaches is when we originally started that podcast, one of the things we didn't want was like, we were like, we don't want former players because their path is easier. I don't, I, I've learned since then in, in these kind of conversations with college and, and NBA assistants, D-League assistants, whatever, like everybody's path is different. I agree with you on Nick Nurse. Like, the guy cut his teeth. Like, he worked in the D-League. Like, he, he grinded. He was on the bench. Like, I mean, he, he's done a lot of different stuff. I also would say, though, Steve Kerr, you know, got to be an executive, like, did TV, like, stayed in the business, like, tried different things, realized where the NBA was going for when he got the Warriors job, presented an unbelievable game plan. Like, he deserves a lot of credit as well. And I'm not saying that you're wrong about saying his path is easier, but I think these two coaches are very good. And I think we've watched two guys kind of, I like Nick Nurse a little bit better in game, even though we have like kind of a one year sample. I, I did actually, when I was working in the for the 87ers, Nick Nurse was coaching in the D League. So actually got to see him as a head coach there. But so I would say, though, these two guys, like not afraid to adjust, not afraid to do some different things. But I, I think Kerr is a much better game planner. I think he's a little bit more of a CEO. And I think it's really also fun to watch Nick Nurse kind of cook some weird things up and take some chances that maybe you don't see an older guy take, you know, maybe you don't see a guy no, who gets a lot of opportunity. Dwayne Casey take, I mean, frankly, I mean, Dwayne Casey was very stubborn um, and afraid to change things up. He kept that, you know, Jonas Valanciunas lineup going for quite a long time. Um, and I'm just looking at Nick Nurse's history. Here's some of his coaching jobs. He coached as an assistant as his alma mater, Northern Iowa. Then the Derby Storm as a player coach. Grandview, they don't even have a team name or a league there. It just says Grandview. I don't know where that is. South Dakota is an assistant. Then the Birmingham Bullets, the Talon Dust Usteady. I don't know what that is. Sounds like a Game of Thrones character. Manchester Giants, London Towers, assistant on the Oklahoma Storm. Then the Brighton Bears, back to being an assistant on the Oklahoma Storm. Then Iowa Energy, Rio Grande Valley Vipers, and the Toronto Raptors. So, I mean, he's definitely paid his dues. It's like, it's easy for, you know, like you said, I, I, I do think it's easier for some players to kind of like, you know, just like, or magic Johnson. Hey, guess what? You're the GM of the team. Now here's hold on. Here's what I would say. I think it is easier to get your foot in the door. I don't think, unless you're an all-time great, like unless you're Michael Jordan or magic Johnson, like LeBron, Jason Kidd, whatever, all-time great. I think it is very difficult for you to stick around if you're not good or get a job that you don't deserve. Like if you watch like Elton Brand, right? Like he had to be, and, and Malik Rose, like guys like that, at least guys that I'm familiar with, like they had to be assistants. They had to do things. Like you're not just getting a job, right? Like Jared Dudley is going to be a guy who's going to be sought after for the media or like front office and he'll get a media job right away. But if Jared Dudley wants to be a, a guy who works in a front office, like he's going to have to be like assistant director of player personnel. Or, you know what I mean? He'll have to build his way up. Whereas the truly, truly great players, they're just handed whatever they want. So I agree in a sense, it's much easier to get your foot in the door. Also, you have money so you can afford to take some chances, volunteer, whatever. Whereas Nick Nurse, like, I'm going to guess between his time at the Derby Storm from 1991 to, 
I would say 2005, Nick Nurse never made over $30,000 in a year as a coach. I would be absolutely stunned if for like the Brighton Bears, a USBL team, that that guy was making thirty or thirty-five thousand dollars as a head coach. Well, that's like that's like our that's my dream guest for your show. Create your shot. Who people should people should download talking about these coaches' journeys because that is interesting. It, and everyone's journey is different. Um, and like you said, I, I'm not trying to denigrate Steve Curry. He's one of my favorite like personalities. I think he's such he a. He was aw- he was an awesome commentator. No one ever talks about that. Like him and Doug Collins as like studio guys and and like announcers were great. They actually broke down basketball. Yeah. And I think you made the point, like, I think coaching is about adaptability and being able to evolve with the times. And, and when Steve Kerr had the GM job for Phoenix, he traded for Shaq and kind of slowed the game down and maybe made a mistake there, but he learned from that. And then he kind of embraced that sort of, you know, pace and space D'Antoni style after the fact as a coach. He also, he gets credit, I think as a GM, he he did like when it looked like the Suns were done or whatever, like he, he tried to do something different. Like, and ultimately, he lost his job because of that. I mean, I do think he got fired, right? I'm remembering that correctly. I'm not sure. I have to look it up because he... Because he was never also like... He was also like president of basketball operations, but Jerry Colangelo was still in charge, right? Let's see. He was... Um, we have to look up his resume. You know, it's a little easier. That that team I mentioned, the Ustad, Dudad, or whatever, is a Belgian team. Multi-league, a 19-time Belgian league champ, by the way. I'm surprised you didn't know that as a coaching guru. I did know they were in Belgium, I, only because I hovered my cursor over the team on Wikipedia. Um, he stepped down as president and general manager. I don't know if that was forced or not. Uh, um, but I, let's talk about the series, because the one another adjustment that he did make, you know, I thought he's always been a step slow to make adjustments, but usually the game after he does. And Boogie Cousins goes from eight minutes in game one, looked terrible looked bad in the first quarter of this game but ends up playing 28 solid minutes you know 11 points 10 rebounds six assists well one of the things i would say too uh real quick before we do talk about boogie cousins because i was super excited about boogie cousins last night uh i would say obviously we're now into june and so we do have the nba finals winding down and we do have uh the stanley cup finals also in full swing and so there's only one place that has you covered and one place where you can get all the action, and that's betonline.ag. So sign up today for a free account at betonline.ag and use the promo code PODCAST1 for your 50% welcome bonus. That is P-O-D-C-A-S-T-O-N-E for a 50% welcome bonus. Like I said, NBA Finals currently 1-1. NHL Stanley Cup Finals 2-1 Boston. St. Louis is going to look to win Monday night at home to even up the series. Baseball, we're in full swing. We got a couple majors coming up. Patrick Cantlay, big performance at the Memorial this past weekend. Maybe some value there. So don't sit on the sidelines anymore. Get in on the action. And don't forget to use the promo code PODCAST1. Or you can text BETNOW to 238-669. That is BETNOW, B-E-T-N-O-W. And you can receive a 50% welcome bonus. That's BETONLINE, your online sportsbook experts. Coming soon to Podcast One, the Gigi Podcast with Rick Fox, Jace Hall, and Todd Roy. Log on to see the world behind the esports you love and find out what good game really means from the trio who's taken the business by storm, including the three-time NBA champion behind Team Echo Fox. Download new episodes of the Gigi Podcast every week on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. So DeMarcus Cousins gets put into the starting lineup. And I thought that was a great move by Steve Kerr. We kind of talked about, hey, you got to start Looney. They started Jordan Bell in game one. I, I want to say this about Jordan Bell. Like, 
whoever the Warriors and, and the public wants Jordan Bell to be, whether it's like Draymond <laughs> Green light or whatever, like when he got drafted, it was the steal of the century and whatever. Jordan Bell just ain't that guy. Like he might be a great teammate. He, he might end up being a pretty good player. But he can, he just, he's just not the guy, right? Like we've seen it. We have tons of data now for Jordan Bell in big spots. It's not him. Kudos to Steve Kerr for being like, you know what? Boogie didn't look good in game one, but the one thing we maybe need a little bit more of is we need some playmaking. Like we need a guy who can actually match with Gasol so we don't have to hide a random defender on him. And I thought DeMarcus Cousins last night was tremendous. You know, 28 minutes, 11 points, three for eight from the field, but 10 rebounds, six assists, three turns. Like you saw some of the passing that we're used to from him. Saw his ability to kind of start the break off an, a rebound. And, and I, I really thought that that was a very interesting move. And I don't feel like Toronto was prepared for it. And, and it honestly felt like he got stronger in the, in the third quarter. Like he was really, really good in the third quarter. And I was very impressed with that adjustment from Kurt to say like, we're going to go to Cousins because I think he's really talented and we're going to go with it. Because again, the Raptors want to play slow. Like they're not putting Boogie in a ton of pick and rolls. Well, it, it was amazing because, you know, I thought he looked terrible in game one. He did. He looked slow. And he looks slow now, too, just to be honest. Well, and also, like, what would, in your head, watch game one and say, hey, we need more of that? Um, And even in the first half, like, I'll tell you, I watched the game with my wife, who doesn't like basketball and begrudgingly watches it because it's on in the background. And um, she's kind of like Statler and Waldorf, you know, from the Muppet Show, those two cranky guys are forced to watch this and hating on everything. And she she hates she likes saying boogie just because the name boogie, but she's like, what is it? What is a boogie doing? He's just useless, you know. This is the first half, you know. He doesn't do anything well. Keeps fouling, and she's like, <laughs> and she's like, she literally made the joke. She's like, oh no wonder he wears the number zero because he does nothing. Um, <laughs> little roast from Mrs. Ellis. Such a great take. Such an and, unbelievable take. And then you know, and then boogie played really well in the second half. Um, and I think it, your point is right. Like he's. I, I tweeted too, like he's more skilled than people give him credit for. He's a good passer. He has a high IQ, even if the body is not totally back yet in terms of the elite level of athleticism. I don't know if he ever had that, but it's almost a, an even fight with him against an older Marcus Gasol. you know, like I thought he outplayed Gasol and, and that shouldn't happen if you're for Marcus Gasol playing a guy who's coming back from like a month long injury. So we both should eat a little bit of crow. And again, you, you have totally lauded Nick Nurse and you've been all year talked about how good you think Nick Nurse is and he has absolutely lived up to your expectations. I, I, I want to say he's exceeded your expectations, but I don't know if that's possible because you were very, very high on Nick Nurse from our very first episode. Like first time you and I ever recorded, you were all in on Nick Nurse. So, but I have said several times that I don't think I liked their trade for Marcus Saul. I didn't think you could play him a lot. I thought they were really good this year playing Ibaka small and didn't realize that, hey, like when you get Kawhi Leonard back and you can play him every day, like their lineup's going to look a little bit different. Well, Nick Nurse has shown, like, I'm going to play Marcus Saul 30 plus minutes a night. And I think that allows Kerr to play DeMarcus Cousins now. And, you know, Boogie is not an amazing defender, but the Raptors don't run a lot of pick and roll with Marcus Saul. So if you have Boogie there, he doesn't really hurt you that much. Now, they should do, I think, a little bit more dribble handoff, maybe some big-to-big stuff, too, like Kawhi and Marcus Gasol. Like, I would, I would stay out of Kyle and Fred Van Vliet pick-and-rolls with Gasol or DHOs with Gasol. But I would look and see, like, hey, Siakam or Ka- Kawhi Leonard. Like, you know how they did this a lot against the, against the Sixers, but they have that sort of play where Siakam gets downhill and catches a dribble handoff, like, on the wing kind of from Gasol, and it really flummoxed Embiid and Ben Simmons early. And I wonder if we're going to see a little bit more of that if the Raptors uh, play Gasol 30-plus minutes next game and we do see another 30-ish minutes of DeMarcus Cousins. Because I think that's kind of the way to 
really combat Boogie is you just got to get him moving. And they, they just don't do that because Gasol's been a floor spacer and a passer. It hasn't been a guy involved in pick and roll. Well, and that's why the, the move to Boogie was so interesting because I would have gone the other way. I would have tried to get him faster and gone with Looney made it a you know shooting contest because they kind of like the big the bigs in the lineup kind of slowed the game down and make it uglier but maybe golden state thinks that they need to pull out these uglier games to win right now um the interesting thing i think hasn't been talked about a lot is you know if there's anyone who who could potentially take advantage of of slower big men like kyle lowry still i think is quick enough to do it but he he had six fouls and only played 28 minutes and I think that maybe helped a little bit in terms of allowing Boogie to stay in there too, because Fred Van Vliet is not a real penetrator, right? He's just going to kind of shoot threes and, and just play steady basketball. Um, so I, I wonder if, the, I don't know, do you think the Boogie will still play 25 plus minutes for the rest of the series? I mean, it's hard to say, I think, without knowing, like if KD's back in game four, I don't, I don't envision we'll see 30 minutes of DeMarcus Cousins in any other game. Maybe in game three, I, I think it's possible especially not knowing. I mean, here, here's the issue with the Warriors right now. Essentially, Kawhi Leonard just broke Kevon Looney's chest. That was like one of the craziest things I've ever seen. Like he just, he drives the lane and I've long heard that he's the strongest player in the NBA outside of like LeBron and maybe stronger than LeBron just in terms of brute strength. Like he basically just went through Draymond Green, like pushed Bogut out of the way, like shoulder checked Kevon Looney and won. Great layup. And then Looney's just on the ground and then misses the rest of the game. Now he's getting a CT scan on his shoulder. Like, I, I don't know. So we, we could see the Warriors without Looney on Wednesday night. We could see him potentially without Clay Thompson, though he has claimed that he's going to play, and I tend to believe Clay in those situations, and without Kevin Durant. So now you're talking about two of your five starters, three of your top seven rotation players. The Warriors may not have a choice but to play DeMarcus Cousins 30 minutes. And that's where I think the series gets very interesting because do the Raptors try to put more Siakam in the game? And I don't think you can do that because – the one thing that Boogie doesn't get a lot of credit for is how great of a low post player he is if he wants to be like that. And we haven't really seen that with the Warriors because he handles the ball at the top of the key a ton. He passes. Like I said, he's, he's more skilled on offense than Marcus Gasol. He's just worse defender. But we could see Boogie score it a little more too. If, if the Raptors do go small and play slow, then there's not as much of an opportunity cost to have some post-ups down the stretch. You know what I mean? Well, th- that's interesting because, yeah, you're right. Like if Looney misses the next game and say Durant does too, then you have to play a lot of Cousins. And, you know, Bogut played seven good minutes. Um, yeah, but just three, three like lobs. They just, he didn't even, he didn't even jump. Well, you know, and he's a similar player I, in terms of like, you know, just being a bigger, slower center, traditional center. Um, also a good passer too. Um, so if, if you're the Raptors, do you, I don't know if you can politically because Gasol is so like, you know, entrenched potential Hall of Fame kind of player. I tend to agree. I'd like to see more Ibaka. I mean, he had 10 rebounds in 16 minutes. You know, I always hear how like old he is and people joke about he's secretly 50 years old. He still looks pretty springy to me every time I see him. I mean, I, I don't see why he's been like, you know, relegated to being like a 15 minute player. It's, a, it's very, very interesting to see. And I think that's just based on how the Raptors. One of the biggest misnomers about defense for years and years and years has been like, if you block shots and you get steals, you're a good defender, right? I think that the way the Warriors have designed their defense has been, Marcus Gasol in game one was flat out tremendous on the defensive side of the ball. Like former defensive player of the year, Marcus Gasol, like closing off angles, protecting the rim, like perfect in drop coverage. If you play Ibaka, you can't do that. And he's still not spry enough now to switch on a perimeter player. So if you have Ibaka in the game, 
you need him to be like a weak side shot blocker, but he doesn't protect the rim like Marc Gasol does. And I, and I think like, I'll tell like a funny story. Do you remember there was a player named uh, Carrillo Fasenko? He played, I, the Jazz drafted him. He had a couple of years. He was, was from Ukraine. Guy, right? Big white dude, right? Yeah, okay. We had him on the uh, Delaware 87ers in the middle of the year. He was a big free agent acquisition for us. He was trying to get back in the NBA. Guy smoked so many cigarettes. It was unbelievable. All he wanted to do was like play World of Warcraft and smoke cigarettes. I loved him. He's a great dude. He had a game against the Canton Charge where he was flat out fantastic. Like defensively, it was amazing watching a big who couldn't move at all. This is a dude he had like size 22 shoe. He was like seven feet tall, 280 pounds. He couldn't jump, but he was perfect, like in pick and roll, like in passing lanes, like super wide, like always got the spots, walled up. And I remember saying to Kevin Young, who was an assistant on the team, he's now an assistant for the Sixers, like, man, when you watch a guy like Fez, you start to really understand NBA defense. And he said the difference is guys that can do that every night at the NBA level, and he, he just doesn't bring it like that. Like that's what you get from Mark Gasol pretty much every night. And I think that Nick Nurse is like, we're going to embrace that's who we are. And the small ball that they played early in the year without you know Kawhi every game – is a little bit counterintuitive to that because you have to switch on bigs. You get cross-matched a ton. This way, they kind of muck it up. They let Gasol kind of sit in the middle and float around and then let their perimeter defenders go to work. And I think they're worried about Ibaka in that regard. And so I think that's why he wants to play Gasol 30 minutes a night, and that's why we're only going to see 15 to 18 minutes of Serge Ibaka. I just don't think they trust him defensively. That's interesting. And, and it's interesting to watch because, you know, this is, again, it's a 109 to 104. So it sounds like a high scoring game, but again, but it's that's not now. Average. Yeah. It's, it's below just, league average. It's 110, I think, league average now. Um, you know, the Raptors, like stylistically, just based on the roster, as you mentioned, like want to play a little slower. And the Warriors, because of Kevin Durant's injury and their limited depth, I think want to play a little slower too. So you'd think that one team would want to play fast, but it seems like both of them are kind of settling into this sort of rhythm here. And real quick, before we before we get to their depth, because I do want to talk about the Warriors, because we have crushed like their bench for a little while, and their bench was a huge part of this. And one of the things that you can utilize a, a, a lot of bench spots is in Yahoo Daily Fantasy, especially in baseball, because baseball's back. It's June. You know what it's like. You go to the park, the smell of the grass, the crack of the bat, and now a sensation of money just burning a hole in your pocket. Yahoo Daily Fantasy contests bring you closer than ever to the game you love. They offer daily and week-long contests. So you can actually utilize a bench player and move guys in and out. Uh, you can pick a new team every day as well. So to get started, you go to yahoo.com backslash daily fantasy and find a contest that is right for you. They have 50-50 contests where the top 50% of contests win, or they have a quick match feature where you can play against a player that's similar to your skill level. We also have a promo code on this one. So use POD25, that's P-O-D-2-5 for $25 of free play when you make your first deposit. The sooner you get to playing, the sooner you can get to winning and utilizing your bench. Don't forget about that. So go to yahoo.com backslash daily fantasy to start playing today. All right, Dan, if I told you before the series, Quinn Cook was going to have a game where he made three threes, how much money would you have bet me that it didn't happen? I kind of like Quinn Cook. <laughs> no, you don't. No, you don't. You don't. Like I do him. like Quinn Cook. Um, I, I think he's just a solid guard. I mean, he's fine. Uh, he could hit that shot. I mean, he's a decent shooter. If you're going to leave him wide open, he's going to hit, you know, 35, 40% of his threes, right? Eh, yeah, maybe. It could he's happen. not going to create much. That's his problem. He's not like a real guard guard. It's zero, zero percent. I mean, what did he play, 20 minutes last night? Let me see. 21 minutes. 21 zero minutes. Assists, zero assists. And I mean, here's the thing. Quinn Cook is a good point guard. Like, obviously, we saw him in college. Like, super good teammate. People love Quinn Cook. Really nice guy. Infectious personality. But, yeah, zero assists. Like, he's in the game. But he keeps the ball moving, I think, which is good. When they play that sort of, like, 
Thompson, Draymond, Curry, Bogut, Quinn Cook lineup, like that's a really good passing team. And, and you know, it doesn't play that often, but Bogut doesn't get credit as a passer, and he is a very good passer. Especially, I mean, when he was younger, he was like the – he was like almost like a Jokic, like a mini version of Jokic in terms of like his ability to run the offense. And even when you have Cousins in the game with that lineup too, like Boogie gets an interesting rap as like this selfish player. Like obviously his time in Sacramento was, you know, some was probably his fault. Some was definitely the, the Kings. And then, but now you're, people are starting to see like, this is a super skilled guy. Like this is not, I mean, yes, he's could be a ball hog at times, but he can make every pass as well. So the Warriors do, they have sort of like leaned into that playmaking and at least in game two on Sunday night, they did. Yeah. It's almost like cousins this year reminds me a little bit of Gordon Haywood in Boston in the sense that like their bodies are just not back yet, but you could still see they're very skilled basketball players who are good for a reason. I mean, Golden State 22 made baskets in the second half last night, 22 assists. That's that was amazing. That's like the defining stat for sure. And, and I don't great. think, you know, like people, people do this all the time. They're like, passes are really important. Like the more passes, that's not true. Like just throwing the ball in the perimeter, Rajon Rondoing it, Russell Westbrooking it, if you will. Like that doesn't mean shit. But literally to have a 100% assist percentage in the second half, like that means like you're passing for makeable shots. And I think like that is really impressive with the Warriors. Like, I don't know, again, I mean, like I said, I think 34 made assists on 38 made shots. That's, that's ridiculous. I want to ask about that, about Steph Curry, because you know, I remember Steph Curry four or five years ago. It feels like he did he he needs those passes now more than he did back then. Do you agree with me? Like he used to. T- I remember him taking his guy shooting off the dribble a lot more often than he does now. It seems like he's getting set up for a lot of assists. I, they say he's ill or something. You know, every time he has a slightly bad game, they come up with a new excuse. Um, the defense but- of Steph Curry is very funny because he did play well. In game one, he, he was quite good, I thought, on Thursday, last Thursday. Uh, he was not as good on Sunday night. And it was like, oh, Steph Curry's great. And it's like, yeah, he was okay. Like, he was good. They got a bunch of perform- – they got great performances from other people. But the media is very excited to make sure we know when Steph Curry has something going on. <laughs> it's bizarre. Well, And, you know, you, to your point, like, you talked about the box and one earlier. Like, if Steph Curry does not shoot well, he still had a, a huge impact in the game. Of course. And, th- and that's, uh, you know, that's a star. Like, and that's why when people argue for Steph Curry being very different than a guy like James Harden, the impact you see from Steph Curry where they're just like, hey, we're going to try this defense that, like, nobody's seen since, like, middle school. And, like, let's – I mean, again, I mean, this was a – dude, Steph Curry in college, Jimmy Patsos tried to guard him with two guys at all times. Like, just have two defenders on him at all times because he was so good at Davidson. So this is not something that we've not seen out of Steph Curry before – impacting kind of how a coach junks it up but it's also it's not something we've seen before in terms of like little little bangs and bruises and little silent reports about how he's secretly harboring an injury it's like i don't remember the last time he's been a hundred percent yeah what about like the 2017 like 73 and 9 team like the groin injury or whatever like how often do we hear about that and again it it, it absolutely played a part in it like he was not 100 percent healthy but how many guys are 100 percent healthy in the playoffs right now and when also, and if and if it happens all the time, then it's just sort of who you are. Like if if you like have a coworker who's like in a bad mood and you kind of screamed at somebody, he's like, "Hey, sorry, I was just in a bad mood today." And it happens every single time, every single day. Like that's not a bad mood. That's just your personality. This is my favorite. This is my favorite show business quote of all time. And I can't swear anymore because somebody checked us in our mentions about our blatant profanity. So Zan and I are going to do our best to make sure that we do not curse, but. Did you watch? Did you watch Justified? Have you ever seen? 
All right. Well, it's supposed to be good. So the guy, Timothy Oliphant's character, Raylan Givens, is a very like sarcastic guy. He's a he's kind of like a he's a marshal. He's a U.S. marshal or bounty hunter, or whatever. U.S. marshal. He, he gets a criminal, and the guy's furious with him. And he says, "If you run into an a hole in the morning, you ran into an a hole. If you run into a holes all day, you're the a hole." Like. And that's true. Like, it's 100% right, Zan. Like, if you're just well, a jerk, you're a jerk. Or pre-justified, but... Um, okay, I'm sure you have. I'm sure you have. I have, yeah. Th- there's variations of that. that too, many a- too many a-holes in probably Hollywood for you to have not heard that, right? <laughs> well, no, it's true. Like, if everyone is that, then it's probably you. Or, you know, the other... You know, um, so he's injury-prone, right? He's Yeah, yeah. He, he gets banged up. And, and in physical in play in the playoffs, more than... Than more most times, um, so I don't. I think we have to stop excusing that part of him. But that said, obviously, you know, still he has a huge impact. I think this is an interesting discussion too. Like it's a one-one right now, but let's say the Warriors win right now. Is he Finals MVP despite not having his best series? Great question. I guess he is. I mean, he's their leading scorer. He almost. But I, I want to. Can we interject with the last? Can I interject with the last twenty six seconds of Sunday night? Can we talk about that for a second before we get into the finals? The last, oh, sure, sure. Yeah, I mean, again, like remember the Warriors were up two, right? With twenty six seconds left, um, there was that pass. You know, they traps Curry throws kind of this lob, quite almost gets it. I mean, he almost turned it over. I couldn't believe Kawhi didn't pick off the pass to Sean Livingston. Everyone's given Livingston a ton of credit for like beating the ball or whatever. Like, yeah, okay, great. Like Sean Livingston, you're a fundamentally sound player. We get it. Curry is loose with the ball, to put it mildly, I guess. Is that a fair statement, do you think? Uh, yeah, certainly in that spot. I mean, that was a bizarre decision. It seemed like, now I thought, okay, so they, they sort of had this scramble situation where Danny Green ends up hitting a three to cut it to two, to cut the lead to 106, 104. Uh, then I was like, okay, you immediately foul when the ball gets out of Curry's hands. And I felt like they trapped right away perfectly forced Curry to throw it to Draymond, who seems like the perfect candidate to foul, right, Zan? I mean, there was 20 seconds on the clock when Draymond caught it at half court. I think they wanted to wait for him to take a dribble over half court or see if they could trap him in the backcourt. Didn't work. Gets it back to Curry. They trap it again out of his hands. He almost turns it over. Then they don't foul Sean Livingston, who gets it to Iguodala, who hesitates, and then, of course, bangs a three with seven seconds left. The game's over at that point. I don't know why they didn't foul. They, to me, they had three perfect chances to do it, but it felt like the Raptors thought that they could force Steph Curry into a bad turnover if they doubled. And, he, and they, they almost did. Almost but did. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Do you think we'll see that more? Do you think we'll see them? Should they try to double Steph in the, in the front court a little, or in the back court a little bit more as the game goes on to maybe make him work a little bit harder? Yes, um, I agree. I, I actually like, you know, I don't like the immediate foul all the time. I like trying to get that first pass and see if you can disrupt the pass. Um, but I agree. I, I think te- in general, teams play out that last possession way too often. You're, you're burning. You have 26 seconds left in the game. Like you're burning 26.9 seconds, right? And you need them to miss a free throw that you get to advance the ball and then shoot a desperation three when if you have two timeouts, you can probably get four more possessions. Yeah. You're, you're wasting 95% of the game, like, and hoping or hoping that, you know, they miss the shot. Um, and Iguodala took the shot with more time on the clock yeah, than he, he too. He but not have, he should not have shot that, but he made it, which is fine. But let's say he got off a bad shot with what, two seconds left? How much, what was the difference? Two seconds? It was two, it was 2.9. I think it was 26.9 seconds when they inbounded it. So 2.9, I think. Right. And then you have to get the rebound and, and 
you're probably gonna have like a second left. One and a half seconds, maybe in a perfect world. If that, I mean, that shot, if he misses and they get the rebound, they, they probably have what about four and a half seconds left, five seconds left. Yeah. It, I, I don't know. I, I think you, it, depending on the guy, like if you, like you said, if you found dream on, if you found anyone, but Steph and clay, basically like the, more likely they'll miss one than they'll make both, right? I don't know. I'm trying to think of the odds, but just given the circumstance, I would say that. I mean, of the players on the court, so it was uh, it was Draymond, Iggy, Livingston, Clay. I believe Demarcus Cousins was on the end of the game. He didn't obviously touch it. So of those four guys, you know, Dre this year, 69% from the foul line. Iguodala, 58% from the foul line. He caught it late, but he could have fouled him with seven seconds left. Probably still gotten two more possessions. And then Livingston, 78%. So that's, that's not the guy to foul. But at some point, you just have to if you're going to play that way. And I'm always a proponent. We've talked about this with the NFL draft. Like, get yourself more opportunities. At the end of the day, it's highly unlikely an NBA player is going to miss two free throws unless it's, you know, if it's Ben Simmons, whatever he may. But a good NBA player is likely going to make two free throws. So you want to get yourself another chance to extend the game because maybe you make two threes and then you didn't ever need a stop. You know, and that's right. no, totally. I mean, yeah, I, you know, and that's why teams, you know, foul at the end of the game sometimes rather than give up a three point shot, you know, because the three is such a deadly shot and it's not so easy to make. But even if it's 33% chance, that, that's a pretty good chance. I, I was very surprised when I saw Iguodala rising up to take that shot. I was like, all right, well, there's the argument for going scramble situation if you're the Raptors, like, because then you get a guy like Iggy, he doesn't really know what he's doing right there. He rises up, he takes an off-balance shot, he hesitated, and he's just a big-time guy, made a big-time shot. But that's the Raptors' thought process. Is like, we get it with five seconds left. I'm guessing they would have taken a timeout, which sort of is, in theory, I think that's stupid too because like, it'd probably be better to take the ball off the rim and kind of just drive it and see if you can't tie it before overtime. Maybe they would have. I don't know. I, I would love to candidly speak to Nick Nurse about his thought process with 26.9 there. Like, I think I would love to watch him with like the clicker in sports code, just kind of go through that whole sequence and kind of break it down because it felt like the Raptors made a mistake there. And they made a couple mistakes, obviously, like the, the, the start of the run and the start of the third quarter and then how Kyle played, I thought, in the second half were both obviously much, much bigger than that. But in a vacuum where every play counts the same, like that's what we're focused on now because that's the end of the game. And they had a chance to win the game in regulation. And I thought they, they really botched that opportunity. Yeah, you know, they had a chance. But again, a lot of things would have to go right. Um, I thought they, their bigger chance, you know, just sort of the fourth, the third quarter. I mean, you know, just coming out, we we the got 18-0 run, you know, five minutes and forty seconds. Don't don't score a bucket. Go from down five or up five, right, fifty nine, fifty four to seventy two, fifty nine, and that's tough to run the Warriors down. It's you know? bizarre how I mean how reliably good they've been in the third quarter. I mean, is there any explanation besides just like turning on the gas? I don't know. Honestly, it's it's really interesting. Like sometimes I do feel like the Warriors are just much better than other teams. I didn't feel that way last night. It, it I honestly felt like the Raptors looked a little bit shook. Warriors got a couple open layups. Didn't feel like the Raptors matched their intensity coming out of the third quarter. I also thought the Warriors closing the gap a little bit at the end of the second was a huge deal because I, I felt like the Raptors kind of came into the locker room with the air taken out of their sails. I don't love intrinsic comments like that, like cliche comments, because it's very hard to quantify. But it did feel like the, the Warriors came out like just kind of a little bit more ready to play. And the Raptors struggled to find shots, which I thought was quite interesting. Oh, this is interesting because the series is still in doubt. We'll talk about predictions, revised predictions. But the Warriors, 
raggedy Warriors with multiple guys down are still the betting favorite to beat a good Toronto team. So you make the point. How just how good are the Warriors at full strength? I mean, very stupid. I mean, I I was thinking about this too because it's like the Warriors this year are probably if they win the title, presuming it's not given at all. But if they do win the title, they probably played the worst out of their Durant runs. This has probably been the worst play. But in terms of just the roster, if you have a healthy DeMarcus Cousins, I mean, it. I think it's probably the most talented roster of their run and maybe of all time. I don't know. Do you recall when we first got microphones and started talking and we were saying that like nobody really cares about the the, the finals, like we know the Warriors are going to win. When we see DeMarcus Cousins back, it'll be super interesting. But the bottom line is like, they have DeMarcus Cousins may or may not get to the Hall of Fame. Likely he'll get a ring this year and that'll that'll change kind of his narrative a little bit. But this team is so stinking good. Like the amount of talent in one starting five, if they have everybody at full strength, especially like if we just assume this is maybe is who Boogie is now. I don't know. I, I hope he gets paid. I really would like him to. But like, I mean, good God. Like we're, we're, we're lucky that the Warriors have had injuries. Zan, like we're lucky to be seeing that. Like, well, no, it, it is amazing. Like, and I, I wonder how history will remember it because you know, in forty years, I was doing something um, like a little Reddit thing where I was looking back at old rosters and like things I forgot. Like, you know, the Blazers at one point traded for um, Scottie Pippen and, and Steve Smith in the same season, and we got really good. And um, the Lakers traded, you know, got Glenn Rice when they had Shaq and Kobe. That really took them up a notch. Um, well, history in 30 years, if the next Zandrick Jr. is looking back and like, oh my God, this team had Boogie Cousins the year before you, 25 and 13. I mean, it's just like the fifth starter. You don't, you kind of maybe forget that he wasn't totally healthy. The, the only team that I kind of like remember like this, and this is going to be very odd. This is going to be like a very odd comparison because I know you don't really watch hockey, but like, like the 2002 like Red Wings won a million games and won the Stanley Cup, but had like 10 Hall of Famers on their team. And it was guys like at the end of their career, but it was like Steve Eiserman, Dominic Hasek, like Brendan Shanahan, uh, Nicholas Lidstrom. Like it was all these dudes. And all of a sudden I looked at their roster and you, you see on like NHL reference and basketball reference, guys that are in a Hall of Fame on rosters have a little asterisk. And it's just like 10 guys that had like thousands of points in their career. And I think like with this Warriors team, somebody's going to look back on it and be like, how did this team actually struggle in the playoffs? You know, not remembering that like Durant got hurt and like, Boogie was hurt for, you know, strained his quad and all that stuff. And like Steph was had an illness, you know, Clay Thompson's calf is messed up. But if Iguodala gets in the Hall of Fame, which I, I don't know how likely it is. Again, I was looking at his counting stats and maybe history will remember him more as a winner. But like you could be looking at a team that has six Hall of Famers on it. Like that's a legitimate thing because I think it's very clear they have four, potentially five with Iggy. And then who knows how kind the future is to, you know, Boogie coming off this injury. But you know, I'd say 80, I'd say 100% they get four Hall of Famers and then like maybe 75% they get five, 50% they get six off this specific team. Has there ever been a team like that? Well, the team that I thought, I thought you were going to reference, you know, as a basketball podcast, because I don't know hockey. Um, Remember the the Lakers, later stage Shaq, Kobe Lakers, when they added Gary Payton and Carl Malone and they already had Rick Fox, they already had Horace Grant, they already had a pretty good team. Um, and those guys, especially Peyton, like just didn't, they were a little over, over the hill. They didn't quite fit in. But in terms of just like the career achievements, those are four Hall of Fame level players. Did Gary Peyton make it? I'm not sure. He did, uh, right? he's, in the, he's in the Hall of Fame, yes. Um, I'm looking at that roster. Here's an interesting little side note about that roster. Um, we're talking about 2000, 
three, four Lakers, possibly three head coaches on the roster in terms of they had Derek Fisher, uh, Luke Walton, and potential future coach um, Adoka for the Spurs, who's a top assistant. So three NBA head coaches possibly on the same roster. Interesting, interesting little roster there. They, that team was obviously, so we're not doing a history of the NBA playoffs, but that team was so good. Remember Malone was hurt and then finally came back and they were literally rolling until they got just like, because that Timberwolves team with Garnett and like Troy Hudson and, and those that like they were very, and Latrell Sprewell, like they were very, very good and uh, number one seed in the West and this Lakers team just like buried them. And then the Pistons came in, but it, you know, I don't know that that team doesn't have as much prime talent like excluding boogie and iggy because he was both of them are obviously not in their primes right now you, you do have kevin durant prime of his career you do have you know draymond clay thompson steph curry all in the prime of their careers like at the peak of their talent and abilities and that lakers team really just had he, even honestly i mean Shaq was 31 so he, he very clearly was still in his prime but he was coming down off of it i guess you know do you remember the other the other team that was really good that ended up winning a title was you know, that, that Miami Heat 2006 team where maybe Tim Donaghy won the title for the Mavs, I don't know. But that team, I mean, that team also had Gary Payton. They had Antoine Walker. I think they had, uh, they traded Lamar Odom for Shaq. But that team was very good as well in terms of like high-level guys that sort of were not considered to be a super team, if that makes sense. Well, you know, but it's interesting about Boogie Cousins because you said like he's not in his prime, but he's 28 years old. Yeah, and- we could see him in his prime again, but right. I... Like he's just not healthy. And uh, that might be an interesting discussion too. I don't know. But like what happens to Boogie next year? Because people are like, he's not going to be the same. Like if he's, if he's healthy enough to play now, he should be healthy enough by next season. It's a good question, Zandrick. It's a really, really good question. I don't know what happens to him. I, I don't. I, I would imagine somebody will offer him somewhere in the neighborhood of like five to $8 million a year and see if he bites. I mean, he's not getting... Are you giving DeMarcus Cousins $10 million a year? Yeah, why not? I would give him two years, $20 million, yeah. Would you really? I can't imagine that. I don't know that anybody's <laughs> doing that. You don't think so? I think for $10 million a year? What, what's, what are you getting from DeMarcus Cousins that is that valuable for, for that price? Well, I'm, I'm projecting him to be 80% healthy next year at least. I think he's going to be... Um, you know, like, a, can he be like a LaMarcus Aldridge type player? I think that's reasonable. So who's signing him? Surely, surely we're down the Reddit rabbit hole this morning about uh, who fits for DeMarcus Cousins. I think it's likely he ends up back on the Warriors. Honestly. I think so, too. I think he'll stay. If Kevin Durant leaves, they'll have, they, could, they might as well keep him because they, they don't, can't use their space. The, Laker, the Lakers have always been rumored. I don't think he fits there, but who knows what they want to do. What about the Washington Wizards? Trade Brad Beal, sign DeMarcus Cousins? I don't know. That could be fun. Maybe they get a GM at some point and they do that. Well, you know what I think they should do, actually? The Wizards, they should sign Cousins for a one-year deal um, for like $10 million, let's say. And then just to bring him into the building and try to get him fully healthy by the time Wall's fully healthy. And then I think then you might have something in 2020. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I'm not sure. Like That's the thing with Boogie. It's like... Also, you know, one of the things that's been very fun is this whole reputation of like Boogie is like a jerk has sort of dissipated, which is fine. Like it's good. He's been a good teammate. The Warriors have clearly done a good job and and he we haven't seen him involved in a lot of stories. He looks like a very good teammate on the court. He has not seemed to be as selfish as we've seen in the past. So I hope he gets paid a little bit more because of that, because for years there was all this narrative that like DeMarcus Cousins was like 
you know, a, a huge jerk and that hurt him. But I don't, I, I think he's done a good job of hopefully shedding that and that maybe can get him some more money. Yeah. I think he's gonna have to prove it. You know, I, I agree. Like I, you know, but I mean, look, Jabari Parker got two years, 40 million last year. But Jabari Parker's not 28 years old coming off an Achilles tear. Well, how many, how many injuries did he have? A lot. But again, you're still talking about a guy in his early 20s. And again, we're not seeing Jabari Parker. I mean, he had a prove-it deal, didn't prove it. And I'm sure the Wizards, <laughs> will, give, the Wizards will give him like three years, $87 million or something. But nobody <laughs> else is going to do that. Um, all right. Well, fine. I, so forgetting, forgetting that. So you, we, you kind of dodged the finals MVP. So if it's, you think it's Curry versus Kawhi, basically, at this point? Is there anyone yeah. else that could? Oh, it could be Siakam. No, no question. It could be Siakam. Why what not? About, what about Durant? Let's say they go down 2-1 and then Durant comes back and wins it. Do you think they would give it to him? This is my favorite subplot of the entire final so far because, like, as you know, you call me a hater. But in reality, I just sort of enjoy watching public spectacles. So it's like, you know, you're out and you see, like, a husband and wife fighting. And, like, you don't want to be part of it, but it's kind of funny to, like, watch it. It would be amazing if Durant came back in game four. The Raptors were up 2-1. to one, they won three straight, and Durant averaged like 35, 11, and 8, and he won his like playoff. He won the finals MVP. Well, should he win in that case? I think he should. Pro- probably he should, especially because like Curry's numbers are always, you know, they're, they're a little bit down. It's not, again, his impact is totally understated, but like, you know, the idea that Curry's going to average like 39 and 9 just doesn't seem to be realistic in this series. There's not going to be enough possessions. Now, he could do that and make me eat some crow, but if Durant comes back and they win three in a row and he just he scores like 100 points in three games and he's just awesome. Man, I cannot wait for the takes about like how the Warriors should trade Steph Curry. They need Kevin Durant, blah, blah, blah. And in reality, like I said, this series is super close. Steph Curry is, in my opinion, Steph Curry's the best player on the floor. When Durant gets back, I think Durant's better. I, I think Kawhi is close. I would take Steph over Kawhi if I was starting a team today, just because I feel like shooting is much more valuable. But it's just, it's very funny. I think that can happen. But I think Steph's got to be the favorite. I mean, I think Steph's got to be minus. I think for it's sure. like their first title where it's like Steph is, you know, normally he's a 10 out of 10. He plays like an 8 out of 10 in the finals. And that's probably still enough to win finals MVP. The a guy I hope's healthy, Clay, you know, he's had 20 points both games. I think he's played well. He played well last night, I thought. Yeah. He was good last night. If he he's like a couple of huge games and a couple of bad Steph games away from getting in that conversation too. He was the best. We talked about him being the best. He was plus fourteen hundred to start the series. Like that was the best value because you could easily see Clay without Durant. You know, make five six threes in in three or four games and average thirty ish points a game. Solid defense. You know how the media loves Clay Thompson, the all league defender. So like you could see that happen. It did feel like this was setting up to be Curry's award. What about Draymond Green though? I mean, I, I, I agree. Play badly. I, I think, you know, for the run of the playoffs, I could see him, you know, an argument that he's been their best player overall because um, Durant's been hurt. Uh, so I could see that. I could see that narrative. I, I, I think it's up in the air. Obviously, it's two out of seven games, so it's hard to tell. It's very interesting. Like, so he goes 17, 10, and 9 last night. I saw this stat. I think this was from Tommy Beer on Twitter. I think he just, you know, at Tommy Beer, I think he just went through the basketball reference database. But Draymond Green... 10, point, 10 rebounds and five assists, 10 rebounds and five assists in 11 straight playoff games. Longest streak since uh, LeBron James did it 10 times in a row. Uh, three years. I, I've been impressed with him. I mean, I know that sounds dumb because he's like, oh, you know, defensive player, you're a Hall of Famer, but you've always been hy- hyping him up as one of the most valuable players on the team, of course. And I, 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 I was a skeptical of his ability to impact the game 
if he wasn't on the Warriors, but clearly his defense is the key to the team. I mean, look at these. I mean, I thought like they let him, he was more of a free safety last night. He roamed around, he kind of bumped cutters and stuff and, and really kind of dominated, I thought, in the paint. And I thought that was the thing with Siakam, like they made him a different finisher than he was before. But like, if you look at these bench, like look at these, these guys in the starting lineups. Cousins, 11, 11, 10, and 6. Iguodala, 8, 8, and 6. Draymond, 17, 10, and 9. Like that's, I mean, that is unbelievable production from a, you know, you're, you're looking at 30 rebounds and then you're looking at what? I can't do that math. 12 and, and 9 assists. You're looking at 21 assists from three guys. Like that's really, really good. Those guys are their primary business. Because you're a little younger than me. At full strength with Boogie and Iguodala, you know, older Iguodala, is this the best team? Would have this, this been the best team of all time? I mean, I, I think so. I, you know I love giving wishy-washy answers. I love saying, like, well, we can't compare teams across eras, and I do believe that. But, I mean, I, like I said, you... It, I, I'll, give you I'll give you a definitive answer, too. Like, I have a big... You know, my family's from Chicago, grew up rooting for the, the Bulls, the 90s Bulls, that 72-win team. This team at full strength is better than that. I, I just don't... One of my problems with this is, like, I get it. Like, Pippen is a great defender. Like, one of the best ever. Jordan... Great defender, arguably the best basketball player of all time. Like, please don't scorch me on the internet for saying that he he may not be the best. Like, LeBron's numbers are absurd. It's it's, it's just crazy. But like, Dennis Rodman is a great player, great defender, like super good player. He can't score, right? That's the guy that's going to guard Durant. And then like, I mean, what what are you doing with this team? Somebody's got to guard Steph Curry. Like, Luke Longley played a lot of minutes. I know Ron Harper is considered a good defender. Like, Steph Curry might. Steph Curry might be a top 10 all-time NBA player when it's all said and done. Like, it's very possible that he's just behind Magic as a point guard. Maybe even better. Like, let's say the team switches up and then the Warriors win the title next year and Steph wins MVP. Like, are we going to keep acting like this guy's not better than Kobe Bryant or this guy's not better than Chris Paul? Like, it's a joke how good Steph Curry is. Yeah, well, and it's misleading because you watch him and you and you kind of grumble, uh, like, how he sulks, now he's always hurt, and, he, you know, he makes some bad passes, as you mentioned. But just the one thing he does... <laughs> is the most important thing and he's the best ever at it. But so based on that one skill alone, he is one of the most valuable players ever. Um, but it's just a testament to the team. You know, you can talk about are they better with that Duran or not. They might win the NBA finals without a player who is a top 20 player all time. Like that just shows you how talented they are. Uh, but are they going to win? So let's make your revised prediction if you want. One to one going into the Golden State now for two games in a row. What happens in these next two games? I'd like to hold serve to my prediction uh, the Raptors are going to win in seven assuming Kevin Durant doesn't play now it seems like Kevin Durant is going to play so my official revised prediction is going to be Warriors in six I think that the Raptors are going based to on win. Durant coming back in I think Durant in game four I think Durant in game four I think Durant in game four Durant game four. Okay. I think, um, I, I think the, here, here's the one thing I will say. I, I would not, if I was the Warriors panic, if Clay is, if, if Clay is really banged up and you're going to miss Looney and you feel like you need to get maybe a day or two extra rest and you know Durant, you feel comfortable that Durant's going to be back for game four, I would not panic and try to push Durant early. I, I would kind of hold them all out and just say, like, look, we're calling in the cavalry in game four. 2-1, like we feel like we're better. And, that, and, I, and I think that's kind of where we'll see it go to six, if that makes sense. No, it does. And that's why I thought game one was important to kind of set the tone. And Toronto won that game, feels a little more comfortable. I think game three is going to be very important for that reason. Just can they buy Durant some more time? 
Yeah. And so, I mean, you, you, do you feel similar to me in the sense that Nick Nurse was really good in game one, the Raptors were definitely better, but the Warriors were very, very good in game two. Steve Kerr, I think, deserves a lot of credit. They, they edged up on ball screens. They, uh, again, they, they kind of forced Kawhi to beat him a little bit more rather than kind of selling out to be him. They changed Draymond's role defensively. Like, I feel like we have a very definitive, if this was a boxing match, right? Round one, Raptors get 10. Round two, Warriors get 10. I feel like it's been very even going into game three. I would give the Warriors a slight edge if people are healthy at home. But I do feel like this has been evenly matched so far. And it's been a ton of fun. Yeah, no, totally. And you're waiting for that sort of Ruiz knockout punch. Um, by the way, I, I, that, that's the most interesting story of the weekend. The chubby boxer <laughs> beating the undefeated champ. But um, I do think that explosion might come. Because Curry, as we mentioned, has not played that well. If he hit seven threes in a game, which is very possible, then then they win that game easily. He he, he was very good in game one on offense, like thirty four. I mean, he had like thirty four. A lot of like garbage, garbage like, points, though, to be honest. Um, yeah, but I mean, he did it on fifty percent shoot. Like again, like Steph Curry wasn't amazing. It wasn't you know fifty points in Madison Square Garden, Steph Curry. But like he was he was good. Like but, he, and I think the thing too, you know, I just saw it on Twitter somebody saying that Kawhi is suffering from an injury, a compensation from the previous injury. Um. Once again, we get a lot of excuses when things don't go well, but I, I do think that's probably genuine. And if that's the case, I don't know if the Raptors can win this series. If he's not 100%, um, I was going to say, can they win another game? I don't know. Because if they lose game three, then the momentum's not on their side, and then Durant comes back and they might just get rolled. Um, I would predict the Raptors can win one game out of these two, and they need to. You know, if they don't win game three, I think you're right. I think it's over in five or six. Um, I, I It's just a matter of, you know, can is Kawhi healthy and can the other Raptors step up? Because, you know, Clay and, and Steph aren't going anywhere. They're just so consistently shooting. Even a bad night, they're going to have 25 points. So um, I would predict one of the two. I think the Raptors can get one of the two. I just don't know which one if you're betting at home. I would say you want to probably bet game three just because you don't really know the injuries right now. That would be my most comfortable thing would be to bet on like that Looney's not going to play, Durant's not going to play. I will tell you this, as much as I think the Warriors fans love Steph Curry and they do berate Kevin Durant from time to time, if you think that Oracle is not going to be an absolute zoo in game four when Durant gets announced in the starting lineup, Zan, like you got another thing coming. Like you can play this conspiracy game all you want. I'm not speaking specifically to you, Xander. I'm just saying like the media. Like they can do all this crap, but Warriors fans who have adopted this team in the last five years and that used to be Lakers fans and now they're Warriors fans, they're going to be cheering their heads off. For well, and they should. I mean, they should. I mean, as much due respect as Toronto, they're you know worthy finals team. If Kevin Durant was in, this this could be a five game series pretty easily. Um, Real quick, you mentioned something that I want. I want to stop the basketball talk for a second. I have an unbelievable John Morant take, and what I'll do is I will save it for Thursday. For, and what I'll, and I'll have some other data on my take on John Moran. This has nothing to do if he's going to be a good Oh, yeah, you're teasing this. So we get to I'll, I'll tell you. I'll tell you off the air so you can prepare to tell me I'm <laughs> No, I'm, I, it gives me something to look forward to all week. This John Moran take is getting so much hype. Let's talk about the worst decision made in sports this year, right? Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury decide to fight. These are the other two heavies. Anthony Joshua loses to this guy Ruiz. Who well, I don't you know should, if you should hype it because a lot of you know it's like um, Kendall Baker was on last time Axios Sports that kind of gives you like an overview of these sports that maybe you're not sh- familiar with and boxing I think is one that most people aren't familiar with so to kind of set the stage explain who all these guys are the heavyweight landscape right now 
So there's basically there's three fighters, right? There's Deontay Wilder. He's an American. Uh, he's undefeated. I, I believe he has a split decision with Tyson Fury. They fought earlier. It was an amazing fight. Tyson Fury, huge fighter. Like these guys are giants, like six, eight, six, nine. Fury kind of had a battle with depression, got back in the ring. You know, he's been a, a great advocate for mental health, but also a, a supposedly the best technical heavyweight fighter. And then there's Anthony Joshua. He's a little bit more of a pretty boy. He's from uh, Great Britain. He's Friends also with James Corden, by the way. Yeah, also Drake, apparently. He is, he's undefeated. They were all undefeated. Like nobody, no, I think Fury has one loss actually. But Anthony Joshua and Deontay Wilder has always been this sort of like super heavyweight, like mega fight. And for years, the last couple of years, Wilder is claiming like that Joshua has ducked him and that he's offered all these stuff. And Joshua's PR team has said that's not true. So Wilder has a huge knockout a couple of weeks ago in the first round. And then Anthony Joshua has a fight, his first fight in America. They're in Madison Square Garden. The guy he is set to fight fails a drug test. And then simultaneously, I don't know if you saw this, Zan. The guy simultaneously failed two more drug tests. Like, he tested positive for three banned substances. So this guy, uh, Anthony Ruiz, right? A junior, right? Was he Anthony Ruiz Jr.? I don't know who he is. He's not the son of the other Ruiz, right? There was an old Ruiz. All right, we'll just call him Ruiz. He looks like the kid from Up. Tyson Fury made that joke. It's hilarious. The guy said, he laughed about it and said, I kind of do look like him. He got this fight on late notice by DMing Anthony Joshua's promoter on Instagram. So they make this fight late. This guy Ruiz comes in. He's a big dog. He's 14 to 1 at, at sportsbooks. Anthony Joshua, they, we're all pissed off because Wilder decides he's going to fight Tyson Fury in 2020. We don't even hear that he and Anthony Joshua are going to make this fight, right? By Wilder's 32. By the time they do this, maybe they're past their primes. Anthony Joshua allegedly turned down $40 million from Dazen or DAZN, however you're supposed to say it, D-A-Z-N, John Skipper's company, allegedly turned down $40 million to fight Deontay Wilder before this fight against Ruiz. Then on Saturday night, not only does he get TKO'd, he gets absolutely gets his, like, just the brakes beat off of him. He was the worst fighter the whole time. He knocked Ruiz down one time. It goes seven rounds. He was never in the fight. Ruiz was faster. He was hands were quicker. His footwork was better. I don't know if Anthony Joshua just, like, totally underestimated him or his PR team has been protecting him for years. We'd kind of heard he was soft and he never wanted to make big fights, but like for your first fight in America, like to go down as hard as he did, like he literally flushed $40 million down the toilet. All he had to do was sign the contract. He was going to fight Deontay Wilder. If he lost the fight, it didn't matter. He still gets the fight. He gets a $40 million deal. Guess what, Zan? Worst decision made in sports this year. That, that offer is so far off the table. Now there's no way that fight gets made for that amount of money. Well, and also, like, it's just such a great story because if you, if you haven't seen this guy, Andy Ruiz Jr., he is not the son of the old Ruiz, the former champion, John Ruiz, but Anthony Ruiz. Just Google him. I mean, he looks like me in boxing shorts with a tattoo. I mean, he's like a chubby You're guy. not as chubby as he is. I, I've seen you. We use Zoom now. Like, you're not as chubby. <laughs> Ruiz has an absolute gut. Like, he's like... He's like 280 pounds and he moves, he moves fine. Like he moves. Yeah. Well. He kind of like a little boogie style. Um, but it, it is amazing. I've never seen a boxer besides maybe old George Foreman. I think he was, this guy's James, Tony, James, Tony was very out of shape as well. Like when Tony wanted to be in shape, he was a great fighter. When he was out of shape, it was really bad. He had, he had to be a knockout. Thick. Yeah. T-H-I-C's. Three C's, yeah. Three C's. Um, great fight. You, a lot of it's online. You can watch it on YouTube on DAZN. They, they linked the, the third round was really good in the seventh round. Um, I, it's, it's fascinating to watch because, you know, you mentioned like uh, this guy, Anthony Joshua, 
is a big deal in the UK. He's not, he hasn't really quite crossed over yet. And this was his big chance, you know, to be like the Beatles and he just didn't sweep America by storm. It just was, it just was, it's like so stunning. And it's funny. I, I have a friend who's a huge boxing fan who we were actually just texting back and forth just because we both thought it was a throwaway fight too. And he was kind of arguing. I said, isn't Wilder's not a great technical boxer. He's this big Southern kid from Atlanta, uh, Alabama, excuse me. Big Southern kid from Alabama, like huge wingspan, huge reach, like great puncher, just unbelievable knockout artist. And I said, isn't Joshua supposed to be the most technically sound? And he said, no, like Tyson Fury is way better than him. And he said, like Joshua, he basically said, like, I think Joshua's a lot of hype. He, now, he did not call for him to lose the fight. But he said, like, his PR team has protected him from, from here on out. They want him to get so many endorsements. Like, he wants to make more money outside the ring. And it's like, man... It was like smoke and mirrors on Saturday nights, man. It was really bad. Like, well, you know, kind of reminds me of like the UK. Um, you know, they're not a huge country anymore. Am I going to have to edit this out? Is this like when you insulted all of Toronto? Now I'm going to have to edit out because our fans in London and Great Britain are going to be really upset. No, but no, no, it's a compliment because like the UK like is a smaller country than the US, but like their cultural impact is is really far reaching. You know, like everyone cares about their royals and, you know, everyone cares about the Spice Girls and all this like stupid stuff that's just like, you know what I mean? Like, you're so old. You're so old. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Um, or whatever. What's the the new boy band? One Direction? Are they British? There, yeah, maybe Harry Styles. He's probably Harry Styles. He's friends Perfect with James Corden too. He's friends with. Yeah, there, there you go. There's a Tyler Generation example. What about Taron Edgerton, the new guy from Rocket Man? He's got to be from England. Probably. But the point is, like, whatever is a big deal in the UK suddenly becomes a big deal. And, like, I kind of reminds me of, um, but they're always, like, not quite as good, you know, but they get hype. It's like, oh, Victoria Beckham's, oh, she's she's the most beautiful girl in the world. And you see her, you're like, eh, I guess for a British girl, she's pretty good. Um, <laughs> and it's sort of like Anthony Joshua is the same thing. For, for a British guy, he's a pretty good boxer, right? And if you stay in Britain, you get that hype. Um, but it reminds me of uh, Ricky Hatton. Do you remember Ricky Hatton? Yeah, I guess I yeah. am old. I like but Ricky Hatton. I like he was Ricky like, Hatton. you know, he was kind of like the Conor McGregor, you know, of boxing. He's like loud mouth, like huge hype. And then he fought Mayweather and really was outclassed. So maybe it's a similar situation here. Yeah, he, he fought like an old Oscar De La Hoya, right? And like actually really pushed him. And then Mayweather just crushed him, just like absolutely just dem- demolished him. He was never the same. And Floyd, Floyd will say that. Uh, the other thing I will say about boxing is like they need to make these fights and like this is not our show like we, we talk about the nba or whatever but kevin clark had like an unbelievable column for the in the ringer i thought and he was like could you imagine if the raptors and warriors each won their conference finals and they're like yeah we're just gonna wait for six months and not fight you and not play like it's so stupid it's just the dumbest thing ever so like now you know at least they had a chance to kind of like boxing's governing body does need to step in i think and be like look guys there's got to be a better thing you can't just fight the same retreads over and over again and because it, it, it pays to be undefeated, it's better if you're undefeated because you can make a bunch of like a few smaller purse fights and then wait till you're later in your career and make the mega fight and make $50 million and never have to do anything. That, that's like a Mayweather example. Like everyone's like, exactly. oh, you should fight Manny Pacquiao. You should fight Manny Pacquiao. They keep dodging each other and they benefit from it because the longer you wait, the more the hype builds and you end up getting $100 million for an over the hill fight. Roy Jones Jr. was really the, the original guy that did it. Like everyone loved Roy Jones Jr. and Bernard Hopkins, and we just never got to see him fight until like Roy Jones Jr. was forty. And it's like, why do I want to watch this fight? Like that was, I mean, I, I think I did watch it. I don't, I don't remember, but it's like those are the guys that once guys lose and kind of like the mystique wears off. It's like, why do we want to watch this? Unless it was a great fight the first time, but that's what boxing needs more than anything. Like the highest growing fight is freaking McGregor against Mayweather. It's stupid. Connor's not even a boxer, right? 
I, I want to apologize formally to the Spice Girls too, because now that I think about it, Victoria Beckham does look like a model. I guess she is pretty. They nice. also were super popular internationally. They had movies about them. Like, come on, Spice Girls, cultural they're phenomenon. Big. Yeah. But was their music good? I don't. I don't know. I don't, definitely not. Definitely not. Not for me, at least. How old were you when they came out? Do you remember them? Who's your favorite Spice Girl? Which one? Like, I don't know. I, don't, I think I know all their names. I think I, I could tell like, you. Do you have a favorite? You didn't have like a crush on any of them? No, I think they were. I was a little, I think I was a little too young to like, I think I might have still been in elementary school. Yeah, come on. Get it. Get with it. Okay. This podcast is off the rails. And <laughs> any final thoughts on basketball, on Anthony Joshua, on anything else before we sign off? I, no, I'm thinking, I'm just thinking back to, cause I think I like ginger spice, but she, in hindsight, I think it was just cause she was British and got so much hype. I don't they know if all, they were all British. No, I know, but I, I just don't know if the hype matched the, the performance. Um, anyway, I would, I would say if you're wondering, that means it probably didn't, if they didn't leave a never, but, but here's the other thing I'll say too. They like were thinking about reuniting or they did reunite. And like, I mean, they sold out like every single concert venue they went to. So they must have, I mean, they have a loyal following, but I think also like reminiscing and like that part of your brain, people want to see like things from when they were a child, you know? Right. Well, like, Backstreet Boys still tour and then new kids on the block still tour, I think. Um, all right. Well, we have our own shitty culture too, I guess. That's the, high, the moral there. All right. We're going to bleep out the S word there because again, we are, we're going to have a swear jar every time, <laughs> 25 cents to Venmo to the other person when somebody swears on the show, because we want to be better about that. But fun first two games of the finals, game three, Wednesday night, we will record Thursday morning. And everyone who listens, I am at CYS Tyler on Twitter. Check out my other show, Create Your Shot as well. He is at Zan underscore Ellison. Send us an email, zandrickellison at gmail.com. And uh, we will be back on Thursday. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to the Underdog Sports NBA Show with your hosts, Tyler Laurie and Zandrick Ellison. Tune in next week for more NBA storylines and news.